Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. You can be seated. So last week, and you can catch up, we said this. Um, there was a moment, Jesus on a hillside, my, my most favorite part of the New Testament, and he asked his guys a question, like, hey, what are people on the streets saying about me? And they give a bunch of lame answers, and then Peter gets the right answer and says, Jesus, we believe that you are standing right in front of us, the Christ, literally the Messiah, and you are the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, on that one statement, I'm going to build a movement. I'm going to build a body. I'm going to build an ecclesia. I'm going to build this thing, this gathering called the church, and it's going to change the world. And it's going to be my vehicle for my message to get out to every space in every place in every language, because now I'm offering a message for all people. And then he says, and that's not all that literally everybody who placed their faith and trust in Jesus, I am going to give them keys to access the kingdom of heaven and bring it down to meet the dysfunction of earth. That literally, when you are on mission with me to come around the fact that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, and salvation is only found in Jesus, when you step into that, when you believe that, when you come around that, that literally all the hell that you see around you, Jesus is like, my church can overcome all of that hell. My church can overcome any dysfunction. My church can overcome any power. My church can even overcome death. And I've given you the keys in your generation to access the kingdom of heaven and bring it into the dysfunction of culture and begin to change things because literally the church is the body of Jesus. And so that's my mission, and that's what I want you to do. And then Jesus basically makes this promise, and you see it all throughout the New Testament, that if you, not just individually but corporately church, and that's really who we're talking to in this series, if you're ever going to access that, you are going to have to step out of your comfort zone in order to step into your calling. Abraham, I'm sending you somewhere. You don't need to know where. Just pack a bag and go. Hey, Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Don't worry about what you're going to say. I know he can strike you dead in an instant. I'll give you what to say. Just trust me. Moses, go. Hey, Peter, I want you to go plant churches. Paul, I want you to go plant churches. I'll take care of all the details when you step out, but I just want you to go. This is the rhythm of following Jesus. I want you to step out of comfort, and then I will lead you into calling, but that is the prerequisite. Now, here's the thing, man, that makes this tricky is, in a lot of cases, we don't understand like the nature of the relationship of Jesus and why he came. Like we think we do, but we lose sight of or don't know the function of the relationship. Now, here's the thing. If you don't know the function of anything, you are in danger of either abusing it, breaking it, or being hurt by it, right? So like in my house, I have to constantly tell my boys different things about, hey, this, the, here's the function of this. The stairs they are, are there simply to help you get up the stairs. They're not the cage to the zoo. You cannot stick your head through those. And so a few months back, somehow Ryder got his head through, but it did not go back through quite as easily. And so I thought I was going to have to cut down my, my banisters. And I was like, Ryder, that's not the function of this, right? Like, so constantly, hey, my golf clubs, they're not swords that you can take through the house and play three musketeers, like it's not gonna go down well. So like over and over again, I've gotta remind them the function. Here's the thing, in relationships, if you don't understand the proper function, you're gonna get hurt. Like in fact, a lot of our dysfunction or a lot of our hurt in relationship stems from the fact that we don't know the function of the relationship. Like we're a lot of, in a lot of cases trying to get something or trying to give something that the relationship wasn't designed to give you. And this is in a lot of cases, there, there's relationships, even marriage, where you're trying to get things in terms of the worth of your soul, your identity, and that person is never able to give you those things. They're never going to be a surrogate savior for you. Like my kids, my kids, at least not for a while, can be my best friend. That's not the function of that relationship. I can't, like, you can't, I don't know, there's something about, you can't be best friends with someone you spank, generally. I mean, some of you might argue, but generally you can. So it's like, that's not the function of that relationship. Like it's, 
You have to understand the function of relationship. And here, here's my point is for a lot of us, we don't understand why Jesus came, which means in a lot of cases, we don't know the function of the relationship. And consequently, we don't know the function of this movement in this church that he's built. For a lot of us, we think the primary function of Jesus was to make us comfortable. That wasn't the prayer. In fact, as we come into church, a lot of times we think that's the primary goal of the church is to make us comfortable. In fact, over and over again, you'll, you'll hear about and see about people leaving the church because why? They weren't comfortable. We, we think that that is the primary function. And yet when you really look at it, when you really look at Jesus' primary function, it was not to make us comfortable. In fact, a, a lot of reasons why people leave the church are the same reasons that they left Jesus. Over and over again, because Jesus made people uncomfortable. One day he's with his guys, he starts into a message and he concludes it with eat my flesh and drink my blood. They're like, peace, we're not following you any longer, right? Like one time he did a talk and at the end of the talk, and I'm glad this has never happened to me today, maybe it'll be a first, but at the end of the talk, they tried to take Jesus and throw him off a cliff. So if you wanna have some idea of the nature of Jesus, like that's it. In fact, over and over again, you see in the New Testament that Jesus said stuff and did stuff that you're not gonna slap on a coffee mug. You're not gonna create a Christian t-shirt out of it. In fact, I would suggest that a lot of Christian t-shirt, coffee mug Jesus does not exist. Jesus did not primarily come to comfort. And I hit this a little bit last week when I wanna to go to it again, this is a little theology lesson, that the primary function and role of the Holy Spirit is to what? Comfort. The primary function and role of Jesus was to confront. That's why Jesus came. Hey, there is something that's keeping you from reconciling with God and it's called sin and so I came to confront sin. There is something that is keeping you from life and life to the full, it's a habit, it's a dysfunction, it's a pattern of thinking and so I've come to confront that. But Jesus' whole ministry was I've come to confront ideas, I've come to confront viewpoints, I've come to confront this way of thinking and this system of religion that does not work. And as I've said, Jesus showed up, they thought he was gonna take his rightful place at the table with the religious leaders and he started turning their tables over because I've come to bring something new. And it's not in an effort to somehow retract my love and grace. It is my love and grace because on the other side of me confronting and making you uncomfortable is where you're gonna find life and life to the full. But sometimes if you're ever gonna step into that, something needs to be confronted. I need to take something on and so it's why I came and if we are confused by that we'll literally mishear or misread the voice of God and sometimes we're in a place individually and I think a lot of churches in our generation are in a place like this where we're sitting thinking that that where we feel comfortable is somehow God's blessing and God's favor and, and where we're feeling angst and feeling stretched and, and there's discomfort and there's this thing that we don't like, we're attributing that to the enemy or, or, or somehow the devil and the reality is that place of your greatest comfort may not be God's blessing at all, it may be the enemy lulling you into sleep. And that the area where you are uncomfortable and you are being stretched and God's calling you, that actually may be the invitation of Jesus. And so what we said is this, you have a choice, we have a choice. We can either choose calling or we can choose comfort. We can either choose Christ's power or we can choose comfort. We can either choose to stay in this place where we're comfortable or we get the keys to power. And so I think one of the things for us as a church and individual Christians is we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. It is the epicenter of God's activity. I didn't say miserable. God has come to give you life. I'm just telling you it is on the other side of what is comfortable. And I'm just telling you, we are in a, in a, a season and in a generation where Jesus has made us a promise. I want you to bring the kingdom of heaven down to the kingdom of earth and you have all of the power to overcome hell. And we don't in many cases seem to be experiencing any of that power. I have power to 
overcome the hell of religion and mental illness and leadership abuse and the crap that you're walking through and the marriage dysfunction and the stuff going on in your neighborhood and your city and you're looking around overwhelmed not knowing that I have given you a movement with resurrection power but you are unwilling to step out of your heated seats and luxury lifestyle to receive it. And so Jesus says, follow me, follow me out of your comfort, church, and into your calling. You see this all throughout the New Testament, and specifically I want to, in this series, talk to us as a gathering, and there's an individual application, but, but all that you see throughout the New Testament mostly has been misinterpreted. He was writing to a collection of people because the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, there is a personal relationship, but it's part of a corporate identity, and you can't separate that. And so Jesus throughout the New Testament begins to put his guys into training knowing that he is about to launch a movement and they're gonna lead it and this is what it's gonna take. And so in Matthew chapter 14, there's a story that I think we become so familiar with that it loses its power, but I'm telling you, this is the epicenter of Jesus going, hey guys, you don't know where I'm leading you, but you're about to take the baton for this body and this movement, and I just want to get you ready for it. And so in, in Matthew chapter 14, last week, um, I read several verses from the message. It was originally written by um, Eugene Peterson. Unfortunately, at several of the services, I said that Adrian Peterson wrote the message Bible. That is incorrect if you were confused all week. Um, and some of you have no idea who Adrian Peterson is, so that's fine. Matthew 14. Oh, I add one more thing. Last week, um, I made the crack about people who get me stuff all the time when I make references. So this was um, my BMW that somebody graciously dropped off to me. If you were here, you know what I'm talking about. So thank you for that. I don't know who that was, but legitimately thank you for that. Are you guys with me at the 9 a.m.? I don't know why, but I'm not sure. Matthew 14, 14, you can look this up in the app. You're so familiar with this, but, but dive in and, and put aside some of the stuff that you know. For some of you struggle with the miracles, I get that. But there's even stuff you can get out of this if you're having trouble with the miracle part of it. Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd. Now here's the context. Jesus had just heard that John the Baptist, his cousin, was beheaded. And so it, Jesus was fully God, fully man. That was not, I mean, that was in a horrific news to get. I won't go through the story. John the Baptist was involved in this very, like, Maury Povich crazy with Herod. Like, you can go read that for yourself, but it goes bad. Herod gets beheaded, and so Jesus is kind of, he just needs some time alone. So he landed, and he saw a large crowd, and he had, what's the word real quick? I just want to stop on this. Compassion. I love this because Jesus is fully God, but he is human. He feels at different levels. And what you see throughout the New Testament is there is always a connection between these two things, crowd and compassion, crowd and compassion, crowd and compassion, meaning that it is proximity that ultimately leads to empathy. And this is such a big deal because even Jesus was moved in different ways when he got around people that he wasn't always around and he saw the need and it moved him. I think this is huge for the church. It is so easy for us to stand up or sit in ivory towers or make judgments about people and people groups and whole segments of society and never have any connection with those people, never have a conversation, never have them into your home. And it's so easy to speak in ethereal categorical terms, but you have no no idea the person with a name and I think that's a majority of where the self-righteous approach comes from from the church because we haven't done what Jesus has done there's not people in your home from a different political persuasion or sexual orientation or religious background but if you want to be like Jesus you should be hanging out with those people and breaking bread in your home because I'm telling you that's what leads to compassion so I see my point but I just need to preach that for a second he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. In verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. So send the crowds away so that we can go to the villages and they can buy themselves food. Now these crowds, man, they'd walked all day. They were hungry. They were exhausted. I mean, they're in the middle of the desert. It's hot. I'm, this is not just men. This is men, women, and children. I'm guessing this was the tipping point in the day 
to where, you know what I'm talking, if you have kids, you always know when the tipping point is coming. You can be out with friends and all of a sudden for no reason in their mind, you're rushing them out the door and like, well, your kids are great. And like, no, no, I know in about three minutes, they're gonna blow, like the clock is ticking. And so I think this is the point where all the kids start losing it and the disciples are just like, can we just please send these people away? And verse 16, and this gets, this gets so personal for us. Don't miss this. And Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. Who? You give them something to eat. And this is the tension. I just want to land on this for one second. Something needs to be done. Something needs to happen. And Jesus is like, you do it. I think this is the majority of the ways that God speaks in our life. Like you feel an angst, you feel a, something needs to be done. In some cases, it feels like a moral imperative, like somebody needs to act, somebody needs to go after them, somebody needs to create an environment where they feel accepted, like something needs to happen. And I think the majority of the ways that God speaks is to implant that into your heart and soul. And you're like, I, I, somebody needs to do something. But a lot of times what we don't understand is what you feel is what God is calling you to do. When you see it, in a lot of cases, you're the one to do it. And so in that moment, they see a need and they're like, if somebody needs to do something, you need to send these people away. And Jesus is like, no, no, I want you to do it. You see the need, you figure out a way to meet it. And their problem, like our problem, is they are so aware of what they cannot do. They're so aware of what they lack. They're so aware of what they can't manufacture and they are so aware that they are in way over their heads. Like there is no way that we are going to be able to do anything with a crowd like this. Or they're in a place where there's aversion to sacrifice or they don't have a lot of confidence. And so verse 17, they do what we do. They start making excuses. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Basically, we, we aren't ready and we don't know enough and we don't have enough. And I think Jesus at this point, because I think we missed the humanity, I think at this point Jesus just kind of rolls his eyes. Like, bring them here to me. I think it was in that tone right there. Like, bring, bring them here to me. Like, what do I have to show you guys until you will start to trust? Like, just bring them here to me. In essence, I love this. Bring me what you have. Just bring me what you have. You didn't finish school, got a GED, just bring me that. You're not sure if you have a lot of knowledge, just bring me the knowledge that you have. You've got some, you know, experience in the marketplace. Okay, bring me that. I know that you've tried to disconnect the spiritual and the secular. There's no such distinction. Just bring me that. Hey, you even have some dysfunction, and that's the thing that you're trying to hide. Actually, actually, bring me that. Bring me the marriage dysfunction. Bring me the mental illness. Bring me the struggle that you're walking through right now with your adult kids. Bring me the little bit that you have. Whatever it is, even if you think it's unusable, just bring me that. Like, here's the thing. Let me just... Let me just talk about this for a second. I think we're in a place where we get so hung up on statistics and odds and what we think we can do or what we think God's gonna do through us or through some particular movement. And we get so hung up on that that we start living our lives and our relationship following Jesus in the natural, not realizing that we've been called into something supernatural. And we are so hung up on looking at what is right in front of us, not understanding that God wants to do something that is way beyond your natural ability, way beyond our natural ability, way beyond our resources, way beyond what we could take credit for. And you just need to know if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a church that's coming around the message of Jesus, you have every reason to believe that God wants to use your life as a transformative force because you're following a resurrected king and I just want to tell you this because I think I'm so tired of this in my own life and I've given into this nobody's going to tell me any longer what God's going to do through me nobody's going to tell me any longer what God is going to do through us I serve a God who walked out of the grave alive and said I've given you the keys to the power of the kingdom of heaven to overcome the power of the kingdom of hell and I use scrubs and dysfunctional people and stories that nobody else would use and if I call you I'm going to equip you and so stop looking at all of the odds and statistics and look at me and step out and you have no idea what I'm going to do through you.
Some college student needs to hear me say this right now. Do not keep looking around to your right and to your left. There are more talented people. There are people with better personalities. And God doesn't take any of that into account. If he decides he wants to use you, he is going to use you. And he will take even those things and redeem it. Do not let anybody tell you that God can't. And so there Jesus is. He's like, just bring me what you have. And I think sometimes because we can't do everything or we don't have everything, we don't do anything. Like I think in the Instagram kind of culture where we're aware of everything that's happening everywhere in the world is that for a lot of us, we've bought into this, this faux perfectionism that honestly doesn't really exist, but we think it does because we're looking at everybody's perfect everything. And I think it's debilitating our culture. And, and let me just connect it to the church. I think it's debilitating the church of Jesus Christ because I think we're constantly in a place where we're, we're waiting so we have what we need or we've accumulated what we think we need or, or for it to be perfect or for it to just be right and God's going, you're literally gonna miss what I wanna do because I, I, I wanna work in a lot of cases through the imperfect and through the mess. And what I'm really great at is you stepping out with the lack of whatever it is, fill in the blank, and then me filling in that blank with my power and doing what is way beyond your capability. And I think for a lot of us, we need to begin to set aside what in some cases is this idolatrous perfectionism and realize that we have been called to just bring what we have and it doesn't have to be perfect. We just need to bring it. And a lot of cases, Jesus is saying to us, listen, sometimes I'm orchestrating those moments where it's gonna require sacrifice, it's gonna stretch you, there's gonna be a lot of unknowns, it's not gonna be perfect, that's my activity. So do what you know and bring what you have. And so he directed the people to sit down on the grass and take him five loaves and two fish. You know the story, right? And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. <laughs> I love this. And then he gave them to his disciples. And again, I know, because you know the end of the story, and we, you know, we still kind of romanticize. Can you imagine the disciples in this moment? Number one, and this is what never gets talked about, they are in fear that a mob riot is going to break out. Now, that's not written into the story, but that's exactly what they're thinking. So he hands them the food. There's thousands of people. They're hungry, men in the middle of the desert. Like you watch somebody, three people back at the fast food restaurant lose their mind. Can you imagine? And here they are, they hand, they hand the food and, and they're like, what do you want us to do with this? And, and I, I love this because you know what they did? And I gotta imagine their knees are trembling. I would be. They did exactly what they knew to do. Don't miss the power of this. There is no way that they could feed 5,000 people, 5,000 plus. But they could turn around and serve the five people that were right in front of them. And you know what the biggest obstacle to that was for them? Is how in the world is this gonna help anything other than incite a riot? but I'm just gonna do what I know to do. And so they turned around and served who was right in front of them. And so the disciples, end of that verse, verse 19, gave them to the people. They just did what they knew they could do and they trusted Jesus to do what they could never do. Hey, for some of us, let me just speak this over you right now. You, you're spending your whole life for a lot of us as churches, we're spending our entire ministries running from what God is preparing to fulfill our destiny because it's couched in the uncomfortable. And we don't have what it takes and there's no way we can solve the whole problem. And so we don't do anything. And Jesus' invitation has always been, I'm not even concerned with that. I want you to bring me what you have. And can we just say this? Sometimes that thing is, is your pain. That's what you have. Like, I don't have time to look at it, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church and he talks about actually comfort. Like there is a good place for comfort, right? 
And it says in there that, that God and, and the Holy Spirit specifically is going to comfort you in all your what? Anybody know the verse? Okay, awesome. I'm feeling good about um, where we're tracking and I may resign tomorrow. Um, we'll comfort you in all of your tr troubles. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. All of your troubles. Meaning, that's the proper function of comfort. Like, here's the thing you see throughout the scripture is that when you try to go and find comfort on your own when you're struggling, it always goes bad. When you try to go find comfort, and you will find comfort initially, and, and you'll find something to medicate, you'll find something to dull the pain, you'll find something to feel better, you'll find someone to feel better, you, you will find a way to find comfort, and it will always lead to something bad. And in fact, you'll find yourself a couple of years later, and at some level, you're comfortable, but you're in comfortable dysfunction because you've run after something that ultimately is not gonna satisfy. And the scripture says, the only one to run to in pain, in dysfunction, and when you are in hurt is to run to the only one who has the ability to comfort your soul. And what's gonna happen is God's gonna do something in you for the sake of somebody else when you run to the right source of your comfort. And so now all of a sudden, your pain is a platform to leverage for the sake of somebody else around you. It's not for you, it's for someone else. A good friend of mine recently, they were leading a divorce care, or they weren't leading, they were in a divorce care class for kids. They just went through a difficult divorce of this last year and it got about halfway in and, and realized that God was calling them to lead a divorce care class for kids. And now that God in just a short amount of time has begun to take what is the most painful part of their life and, and start to redeem it and bring purpose out of it because they realized that that pain was not their own, it was for the sake of other people and for the sake of comforting other people. And so Jesus says, I just want you to do what you can do and bring what you have, do what you know to do. Even if that thing is your pain, the thing that you are most uncomfortable to share, that may be the epicenter of my greatest activity in your life. And so there they are and they hand out what they've got in verse 20. They all ate and they were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I know it seems crazy, but if you settle that he walked out of a grave alive, this is doable. And then the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now here's what I love, and this is just the nature of this. They didn't walk away, the disciples, and go, we should start catering, man because the profit margins on this is it's gonna be through the roof. We will take over Jerusalem. No, but this is just like the nature of it, right? They walked away and thought, only God. Like it's in those moments that it becomes really, really personal. And this is really kind of where I'm trying to get us in this series is how many of those moments have you experienced in your life? How many of those moments have we experienced as churches? And it only happens when you are willing to step out and there may be a mob insurrection, I don't know. But God's asking you to do it and so you're gonna bring what you know and you're gonna do what you have to do and on the other side of that, you're not even amazed at what happened, you're amazed at what God did and who God is. And so here's the thing, Jesus had an agenda, so he's not done, this is the last part of the narrative and I'm gonna be done, because he's, a, he's about to start a movement. This was not about, hey Peter, I want you to experience you being your best self. This is, hey guys, I am giving you a corporate calling. You are going to be a movement to the world, and so this is what it's gonna take. And so literally he moves from that narrative to, okay, now we're gonna go to graduate level 201, and immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, Go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd, which that, had, that has, had to be hard. We just fed you more food than you can imagine. Go home. I'm imagining that took a little while. Verse 23, and after he had dismissed them, he went on to the mountainside himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, talking about Jesus, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. And you know this, right? And they and buffeted by the waves. This is important. And buffeted by the waves because... The wind was against it. 
So there they are, like they've done so far what they needed to do. And even in this moment, they're being obedient to Jesus and they do this for a living, but they're freaking out because obviously this is a storm that's way out of the normal and it's way out of their control. And I think just this needs to be said for some of you. You're in a place right now where you're trying to take a step to go, Jesus, I wanna follow you. I'm trying to be obedient. I'm trying to do what I know. And, and there seems to be a strong headwind in your direction. And I think for a lot of us, we confuse that as somehow being outside of the will of God or outside God's calling. And you just need to know sometimes when there is a strong headwind coming in your direction, it is evidence that you are right in the center of the will of God and you're right in the center of his calling for your life because that is the moment that he's going to show off his power. It's not going to be comfortable. And so there they are, and there's a strong headwind, and the storm is all over the place. And during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Let's just walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. I say this all the time. I just, like, this is one of the indicators that the gospels are correct. These dudes that are gonna lead the movement, they're gonna give validation to the movement of Jesus after Jesus is gone, write themselves in as morons over and over and over and over again. We just saw you feed 5,000 people out of a Happy Meal, and our first idea when we see you coming across the water is there's gonna be some kind of exorcist episode, and it's a ghost. We don't even think of any other alternative. It's one of the ways you know. The guys that are writing this are just like, this is what happened. We were morons. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not, do not, do not be. And I know this was legit, but they didn't have as much to go on as we do. Because they hadn't been face-to-face -face with the resurrected Jesus yet, but it's coming. He says, do not be afraid. And I think this is the moment for Peter. I think this is the moment where Peter starts to get it, where he knows there's nothing we can do right now. There's no good options. There, there's no way forward. But I think I'm on to you, Jesus. Because I think we can do whatever you ask us to do if we simply do what we know to do. And so Lord, verse 28, if it's you, and I'm hoping that it is you, or this is gonna go bad. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me, tell me. Meaning, Jesus, I need an invitation. So what do you want me to do? Can we just say this real quick? God is going to call you out of your comfort zone, but he's not gonna call you out of your competency. And for some of us, that's really, really important. Like you feel this calling, God's stirring, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead a worship team. Well, your mom never told you that you couldn't sing. And so God wants to do supernatural things, but he's gonna do it within your competency. Leave that in the shower. God's got something else for you, right? No, I'm just... Some of us wanna start businesses and that's amazing. We feel this call and pull of God or I'll tell stories sometimes about how God moved in my life early on and people literally will quit their jobs. I'm like, God, I don't know that that's what God was calling you to. It's going to be within your competency. And so he says, okay, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And here's the thing, man, in every church, because he's preparing them for this movement, I think this is the reality. There's always a crowd, there's always a crowd, but then there is always a few that are willing to step out of the crowd to go, I'm going to another level. And those are the few that experience the miracle that God wants to do. And so here they are, and Peter is at the place where he's starting to separate himself and come out. And so he says, tell me to come onto the water. Like, I need you to invite me. And so verse 29, Jesus says, come. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. He did exactly what he did in the feeding of the 5,000. Like, I can't walk on water. But I can take a step out of the boat. And so I'm gonna do exactly what I know to do. Okay, so let me just talk to you for a second. Like, what have you prayed this? 
What if you prayed this? I, I hate to make fun, but I love all the God heal my knees and help me to find my car keys and get on the education and help them to get home on time. And I think you should pray all that. But what if we added those prayers? Hey, God, invite me out. Invite, like, literally, I'm going to pray what not many Western Christians pray. Invite me out of my comfort zone. Like, I'm asking for it. Do something beyond me. Invite me to do something that's beyond my natural resources and ability and gifting. But I, I'm just like inviting you to invite me out because I want to be a part of that. And I despair the thought of my life passing me by without seeing God move greatly on my behalf. So God, invite me out. Here's the reality. What challenges you is what is going to change you. The very things that most of our churches are running from are the epicenter of God's power. And so he says, but when he saw the wind, meaning he was reminded of what he couldn't do, like I am in over my head, he was afraid. And he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And this is the issue. Oh, you, you of little faith. Because my agenda, church, is a movement based on faith that will cause you to have to step out at every season. It's not bankrolled, step out. Don't have everything you need, step out. Feel under-resourced and underqualified, step out. I want a relationship based on faith. And to take a step of faith means it is going to take you outside of what is comfortable outside of what is known. And that is the place, by the way, that you need me. I think for some of us, I think we're trying to build a life in a church that ultimately leads us to a place and we don't do it knowingly, but leads us to a place where we've constructed lives where we don't need God. It's going, no, no, no that's, that's not what I have for you. And so I want a relationship based on faith. And so he said, why did you doubt and this is really the implication, me. Okay, and can we just say this? We're always throwing shade at Peter right here. Now, Peter didn't believe, Peter didn't have enough faith, Peter didn't whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm just gonna stick up for Peter for just a second. There was 10 other guys in the boat, right? <laughs> 10 other guys in the boat that never stepped out. And here's, I think, where Jesus is at as, as you kind of read into the text is, I think Jesus is saying to Peter, not, dude, are, are you serious? Like, Jesus knows that there's a bunch of other people that are not willing to step out. So I think this is, hey, Peter, you are almost there, man. You are almost there. You almost had it. And come on, way to go. You took a couple steps into the water. All these other losers are still in the boat. Like you were almost there. And Peter, you have no idea what I'm going to do through this. This moment was a failure. Or at least it ended in failure in the eyes of everybody on this boat. But one day, you're going to look back to this moment. And so when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshiped Jesus. And I got to move quick, but this is just another thing that I find funny. Like, okay, can we just talk about how epic this is? Like Peter just, I know it ended in him sinking, but Peter actually walked on the water and he gets in the boat. And what I would imagine happening is all of his guys that he's doing life with rushing around him going, yo, that was crazy though. And, like, and you had it, like you took several steps. I mean, I know you sank, but this is unbelievable. Do you understand what you did? You walked on water. And instead Peter gets into the boat. I think he's in the corner somewhere. Nobody even throws him a towel. He's freezing to death and his friends just ignore him and they're just worshiping Jesus. Like, can you give this brother a towel for a second and acknowledge the fact that he actually stepped out and walked on water? No, because when they got in, and this is what happens when you step out and see God move, it leads you to worship one thing and one person. So they come to the place to go, truly you are the son of God and you are worthy of all of our worship. Like we suspected it before when you fed 5,000 people off of a couple loaves and two fit, but now we know that you are the son of God. But it's only after you take a step where you're in over your head, where you're not sure whether the sacrifice is worth it, where it's gonna cost you and it's gonna stretch you that I think God becomes personal. 
and it does something to your faith that those moments of comfort when everything is tracking in the right direction, they're never going to bring you. And just think about this. This whole incident, this whole incident was to prepare Peter and for these guys for this, for us, for what was going to happen. And I always think about this, it's just my imagination, I got to go quickly, but do you think that Peter had any idea in that moment? And I know we, again, always chalk this up to failure, but Peter, Peter was there, the feeding of the 5,000. Peter was actually willing to ask Jesus and then step out of the boat. And do you think that he had any idea? Like in essence, and Jesus wasn't going to tell him, but Jesus could have said, hey, listen, you're going to come back to this moment. And I know that, that you may view this as kind of a failure, but there's going to be greater failures. But all of these are leading you somewhere. Like this step is going to lead you in a direction. And you don't know it now, but it's going to change the world. Because Peter, you're going to stand on a hillside with me in just a few weeks. And I'm going to make a promise based off of your statement that I'm the Christ, the son of the living God. And I'm going to start to build a movement. And Peter, you're going to lead it. And do you think Peter had any idea where that step out of the boat would lead if Jesus would have come up to Peter in that moment to go, hey, Peter, just so, because there's going to be some fear and it's going to get crazy and Easter weekend, it's going to be really bad for you. But I just want you to know, one day people are going to come to these very cities where we're doing ministry. And I know that Nero and Caesar are the dominant leaders and figures that all of world history is going to know. But one day people are going to come into these cities and they're not going to be asking about Nero and Caesar. They're going to be asking about you. They're going to be asking about where you're buried. They're going to build a massive tomb in honor of you over Nero's very circus. Like when you die, Peter, nobody's going to know your name. In 2,000 years, everybody's going to know your name. Hey, Peter, you have no idea what God's doing from this one single step of faith, faith, but one day there's going to be crosses that are going to adorn thousands of buildings right near this place, and they are going to represent not Roman crucifixion. They're going to represent one singular crucifixion of your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ, because my movement is going to move into all the world, and you're going to be the initial leader of that movement. You have no idea what this step is going to mean for you. Like, Peter, you have no idea that every December in every imaginable language, people are going to talk about Caesar Augustus, but in 2,000 years, he's simply going to be a footnote to a Jewish carpenter. Hey, Peter, you have no idea, but in 2,000 years, everybody is going to name their kid Peter, and they're going to name their dogs Nero and Caesar. <laughs> hey, and Peter, in the future just outside the wall of the Colosseum where for four centuries it's going to represent death and violence one day. It's going to be dedicated to the martyrs who died for your resurrection to Jesus and you're going to be a part of that group. And this message is going to move socioeconomically. It's going to be multi-generationally, multiculturally. And I know you can't imagine this because you're living right now under the oppression of the Roman Empire, but one day there will be no Roman Empire but the church will be in every corner of the world. And in part, because in this moment, you are willing to take one step of faith. And Peter ultimately died for his faith and he died with nothing, including not a single regret. And so I just want to end with this. Do you think he had any idea? Do you have any idea what God wants to do through you? Even better, do you think we have any idea what God wants to do through us? And here, here is the reality that God is calling you out of your comfort and into your calling. And I just want to say this for a second. And your calling has already been determined. You don't get to choose it. God has said, here's what I'm calling you into. When you place your faith and trust in me, you become a son and a daughter of God. You become a part of my family. You become a part of my body. You become a part of my church, my movement. And I'm calling you to gather together and then scatter for light. But it all starts as you gather together to serve one another, to love one another, to pray together, to worship the name of Jesus. And it will be marginalized in coming generations. But I'm telling you, it is my plan. It is my church. And so your first step to your calling is to understand who you are. All of you together, according to Paul, are Christ's body and each one of who? No, no, no. Nine o'clock. Each one of who? No, no, no. One more time. Each one of who? 
is a part in everything God wants to do in you. I think in every other area, in your marriage, in your workplace, in the marketplace, in entertainment, wherever God calls you, it starts with being obedient with where you are right now. And you are the church. We are the church. You are a part of a movement. And generations, specifically our generation, are gonna try to marginalize it. And they're gonna write blogs about it. But Jesus did not stutter. I'm going to build my church and you're a part of it. And this is your calling. And your obedience is always gonna precede direction. And so I think everything else that God wants to do in your life, it starts with being obedient with where you are. How are you building the church? How are you playing your part? And here's the thing, God works on a need to know basis. You will know it when you need to know it. He will give you power when you need power. He is calling you and calling us to step out and you have no idea, but just bring what you have. GED, bring that. You've been hurt and marginalized. God can actually use that. You've always felt out of place. God's going to build a safe place through your hurt. You have skills in the marketplace, bring that. You don't feel like you have enough time, bring what you have. God will start working. You're not sure about the mental illness or the marriage and you don't have what it takes and you're not sure you're very qualified or you don't have enough skill or you didn't grow up in that background. Just bring what you have. Just bring it to me. Do what you know, bring what you have. And here's what I know about you and about us. You want your life to count. Quote Andy Stanley, I think this sums it up so great. What you are gonna value most about your life will be the parts of it that you gave away. Specifically around what God has called you to. And so listen, as you take a step, as we take a step, because God has an individual application for you. But in this series, I'm talking to us as a family. God has a calling for us and you should be a part of it if you name the name of Jesus. And what you do matters because you are the light of the world. But you, you on your own, if you do this long enough as like a solo search, I'm telling you, your light will be diminished. We are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill. And when you take a step to do what you know, God is going to use it. And so I wanna encourage you today as part of the church to take a step out of the boat or to turn around with what's been placed in your hand and just give it away. And I think it's the catalyst for all that God wants to do everywhere else because it's not just as we gather. We gather for strength and we scatter for light. But I'm telling you, this is the epicenter of God's power. So how are you serving? How are you giving your life away? How are you playing your part? But when you do, it brings power to anything. We said this all the time. Where all of a sudden you step out and go, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna bring what I have. And suddenly, I'm not babysitting little kids. I'm raising up culture shapers for a future generation. And I see a need in culture and it's up to me to meet it. And I'm sitting with students in a circle and I'm not tolerating these students. I'm letting them know because for a lot of them at about 23 years old, they're gonna need to know it, is that God can override any sin and any dysfunction with His grace. And I'm gonna anchor in their heart the beauty of the gospel. And it's my turn, it's my responsibility. I'm gonna give my life away, even if it's my dysfunction for a coming generation to go, God has something better for you. It brings power when we get into a circle with adults and we're not just hanging out in a home. We are literally speaking vision to dads to go, there is hope beyond this addiction. There is hope for your marriage. God can do something in your life. And we're not just sitting and greeting people and smiling that we are literally coming together. And we're saying with everything that we do that God's love is relentless, it is unending, and it never runs out. And so what do you have in your hands? What do you know that's right in front of you? And just bring it and do that. So what is it? What has God placed in your hand? What does God want you to do? And I'm just going to end with this, and you can stand with me all over the auditorium. You're gonna do more profitable things with your life, but I don't think you're gonna do anything more significant than playing your part to say, I am a part of the body. This is my DNA. I'm a part of this movement in this ecclesia. You're gonna do more profitable things. You're not gonna do anything more significant than building the local church because it has been the epicenter for God's activity for 2,000 years, and it will continue to be. Singles, college students, the greatest decisions I ever made in one of the busiest seasons of my life, going to grad school and working and having so many other things on my plate when I was tempted to just kind of, I'm going to check out for a season, but it had been ingrained in me that I 
am the church and this is not some side thing that I can do when it's convenient. And I'm, I'm telling you, God directed my life through that season when I was overwhelmed, that my schedule was crazy, but I knew that God had called me to serve. Hey, singles, get dates, finish your education, do all that God's calling you to do. Use this season to be a part of what God's doing in your generation. You, you've got little kids, it's not gonna slow down for about 15 years. Help somebody help you manage your life and step into what God's calling you to do. You're an empty nester, and I know we live in a culture where you just wanna retire and chill and go to the golf course. God has placed something in your hands for a future generation. Come on, what are you doing? You've been called to hand that off to somebody else. And the thing is, you have no idea what hangs in the balance. You have no idea what God wants to do. And as a church, we have no idea what hangs in the balance. We have no idea what God wants to do. But I can tell you what I'm gonna do to the best of my ability through God's grace. I am gonna lead us as a church to step out of boats and to turn around and give what we have. And we're gonna plant North campuses and we're gonna, by God's grace, create a multiplying movement, not for the name of Centerpoint, but for the name of Jesus, because there are people that are dying without hope. We are gonna risk. We are gonna push people into discomfort. We're not worried about you finding the same seat every week. We don't really care what temperature you like. We don't have to match your Spotify playlist every week. It's not about you. We're lifting up the name of Jesus. So I'm inviting some of us today to allow some of that comfort to die and step into calling and re realize the function of the nature of the relationship in Jesus and the church that I'm following you, following you into the uncomfortable, into that place that's stretches into that places where there is unknowns. And I think that is the place where you are experiencing the supernatural power of God. So today, where do you need to serve? And just straight up, some of you, before you, you need to grab this card because it's practical and go, this isn't the only place because God's called me into places in my boardroom and marketplace, but this is the starting place. I'm stepping into what God's called for me to do today. And I'm not gonna hang out in the back of the boat where there's a bunch of people who are stepping out because what God wants to do is not born on the sacrifices of somebody else. It's me, I've been called to this. And so you need to step in, you need to fill this out today. You need to go to our website today at centerpointfl.org slash whatever the rest of that is. Cause I can't remember, maybe there's gonna be a slide that's magically gonna pop up by the power of Jesus and you're gonna be able to see it. But you go and you take a step today, you grab that card in front of you today to go, I'm stepping out. And it's not about us in terms of what God wants to do for Centerpoint. It's about what God wants to do for the fame and the renown of Jesus and his kingdom being brought to our city and culture. And I think what God wants to do in your life. So all over the house, would you just, if you're with me, bow your heads, close your eyes. And for some of you, just lift out your hand in agreement for what God is maybe calling you in this moment and calling us to. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for what you're doing in this place, but this place is a people. And so I pray that we'd be faithful with what is right in front of us. And then God, I pray that it would be the catalytic steps for a lot of us as individuals and families to lead us into greater and deeper waters to have influences in all of the spaces and places that you've called us out to outside of just this building. We would be a church on the move. And so it's our prayer today that even a bunch of us would begin to stop stiff arming you and living in this place of disobedience where we are missing your power and give us the courage to take a step. And we pray this in the incredible name of Jesus, amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast capture? And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.